Um, uh, Bill's going to be out of town this week, so you woke up early to hear me. This is the B team, um, so just feel free to um, walk out whenever you want to. Um, but we're, uh, we're going to go over uh, our main channel. So at your tables, if you, uh, if you would either uh, text to check in or sign in, this lets us know um, who all has been coming, and when you stop coming, we can bug you, and then we can also sell your, e- your email address to people that will bug you too, or your cell phone number. Just kidding, we won't do that. But um, this really does help us to, to help serve you. Um, I like, honestly, don't tell Bill this, and maybe it's going to be recorded, but uh, I like the sign-in sheets. That way you can get the names and the numbers of the people that are at your table. If you write that on there, I write my number uh, and my email address on there every week. If you sit at the table with me, uh, and solely that so you can maybe remember my name or if you need to give me a call or a contact, you've got a way to do that. And So the, the three things that I love seeing happen at Man Challenge at any time where we have people gathering together around Scripture is, number one, that we base it and found, found it in Scripture, that you guys have an opportunity to share something personal with somebody else in the church, and that you have an opportunity to pray for one another. So we'll get, we'll get started through this lesson um, so you guys can have a chance to do that and not just listen to me. Uh, so welcome to Man Challenge. Uh, if this is your first time, it's a great time to come because I'll do a little bit of a recap of what we've covered so far, but we're talking about what it means to be an authentic man. We've used David, uh, King David from the Bible, as kind of our archetype of a way to bring out some of these uh, traits that we have in a godly man. So we've talked about um, the five heroic traits, which are leader, brother, warrior, lover, and today we'll be talking about noble. So we've defined all these uh, in, in different ways, but our, uh, our character today is man as noble. And this is a kind of a concept, you know, I, I think about nobility, and I take, get taken back to like the, the Knights of the Round Table, and, you know, kind of thinking of something like that. But we'll, we'll dig a little bit more into to what noble is, but our, our definition of nobility is with honor and character always in view, the noble lives as a statesman building a reputation on timeless principles, and we find that um, exemplified in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Uh, Some of these things we always want to tie back into Scripture, so that's a good verse to uh, commit to memory. Have it with you anytime you go. Uh, We talked about the distortions of some of these characteristics, and I want to throw all these up there in case you've missed some. You can see them, but the distortions would be if you're a little bit undercooked, you're going to be in, in a different way. And so for Noble, we see that as being an actor. You're just kind of faking uh, what you're doing. Uh, and it's really kind of for everyone else's benefit, not your own benefit. It's not coming from an ideal place. Uh, and then on the other end, when you have it uh, overzealous or overcooked, uh, you're a judge. You're, you're judging everybody else. You've put yourself into a high position. Uh, and we want to stay away from those. And so when you kind of land in the middle, you really do have that true authentic nobility. Uh, and we want to stay away from the, the undercooked or the overcooked version of what this uh, is actually um, in our lives. So um, this, is, this is kind of where the story's found. We've left off with David uh, in, in his rebuke from Nathan about the little lamb and um, the man who loved that lamb and the big rich person that came in and took the lamb. And David's like, oh, that guy should die. And, and Nathan tells him, you're that, you're that man. That's in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12. 
Uh, this is a really intricate, lots of verses, lots of chapters. I would really encourage you. I've spent the last week or so, two weeks, um, really digging into this story. It's not one I'd really paid a lot of attention to. They did not have this in the Jesus Storybook Bible, so um, I'm not a real expert on that. But um, the, the, it's seven chapters, and there's a lot of intricacies that we just can't get into today, but they're really, really interesting. Uh, and so I would really encourage you. I'm going to try to give you a quick overview of all these things that are going Going on, but there's even more in play that we'll even be able to touch on today. And so we'll just kind of go through the overview. So you get Nathan's rebuke uh, in chapter, chapter 12 to where um, Nathan informs David that there are going to be consequences for his actions. And those consequences are the child that Bathsheba is pregnant with uh, and has is not going to live. And, and David becomes really distraught about that. Um, and it was really, really um, sad when that happened. The other thing was is that uh, Nathan's rebuke said, what you have done in secret will be put out in the open. And the things that uh, your family is going to experience a lot of turmoil. And that's what these chapters really deal with is the turmoil that they're experiencing because of the, the misstep that David had. And we, we use David um, as an example, but David is not perfect. He is, he is not, um, sometimes he's a really good, bad example of the, the way that we need to, to, to look at. One of those is, is really kind of his, his, sexual, uh, his sexual appetites, uncontrolled. Uh, the other one is he has lots of kids, but you'll see in this story too, he's not the best dad in the world. And um, we can kind of see some of those, those big things that, that, are, we need to avoid. So you see David's, David's rebuke uh, from Nathan in chapter 12, and the, the, that'll kind of play out. And so um, on the back of your sheets, you'll find a family tree. I had to look this up because there's so many different names. Some of them are so similar. Uh, the big key people we'll be talking about today, we've got Amnon, uh, who's the first in line of David to be the king. Uh, and then you've got Absalom, who is uh, Amnon's half-brother, um, and then his sister Tamar. Those are really the three key players that we'll be talking about today. Uh, there's another guy that we'll be talking about a lot. His name is uh, Joab, and Joab was one of the mighty men of David. He's a general in the army, and when you, we talk about these mighty men, I think special ops, special forces, uh, these guys that have been through battle, they've, they've, um, they keep a cool head, They've got really good um, experience and can do quite a bit of things with, um, uh, with weapons um, and then with also leading other people. So um, uh, Joab is one of those guys. We'll talk about him today. Uh, and then there's a lot of different uh, inf- uh, informers, uh, people that are, that are telling the king, what they think that they should do. So th- there's, there's a lot of these different people. Uh, but those are the main players. We'll talk about Amnon, Absalom, Tab- Tamar, Joab, um, and there's another one called Ahithophel um, that, that, we'll, that we'll brush on to. But um, understanding how they all fit together is, is kind of interesting. And what I like about that diagram that I printed out, and I've, I've referenced it, that is not my information. It's from a completely random website that I picked up. Uh, thank you, Google Image Searches. But it, it really does lay out, you see those crowns around some of the offspring of David, 
meaning that they'll, they'll eventually be king all the way down to Solomon. And so there's really big turmoil in the family of David, and a lot of that's from the consequences of his sin. And so um, we, we see it in the story about Amnon, Amnon and Tamar. So Amnon's in line to be king, and he sees his half-sister Tamar. And this is kind of gross to even think about or talk about, but she's beautiful, and he loves her. I mean, just, just enamored. In fact, he loves her so much, he looks visibly sick. And one of the advisors around the king's court sees him and is like, dude, what's up? Are, are you sick? And he's like, I'm in love with Tamar. And like, yeah, you really shouldn't do that. It's not. But, you know, if you really love her, maybe we can, we can arrange a meetup. And so the, this guy, and this is found in 2 Samuel 13, 1 through 22, uh, you guys can kind of follow along in there. Um, th- this, this advisor works out a plan to where Tamar can come and bring uh, some food to Amnon. And that food um, is, is prepared in front of him in, in kind of his, his area, his, his wing of the, um, his house. And there's a bunch of people there. And so he's not really alone with her. And so he wants to be alone with her. And so he's like, hey, I'm feeling really sick. Can you bring it to me in my bedroom? And everybody else leaves, and so she brings it to him, and he's sick, so he's harmless. Well, he's not sick. He's pretending to be sick. And so he um, exercises um, very, very poor judgment, and he rapes Tamar, straight up, just rapes her. And then as much, the Bible says, as much as he loved Tamar before that, he hated her. And I meant to wear some different shoes. I don't know if you guys have ever had um, this experience where you've just, you've just wanted something so bad and you thought that it would make you feel so much better about yourself. Um, Amnon felt like about this with, with Tamar. Luckily, my, my experience with this was with shoes. I had these shoes. I was like, man, if I had those shoes, I would feel so much better about myself. I could, I could walk taller. I could feel confident. And I got these shoes, and it didn't do that. And I felt really, really let down by these shoes that I purchased. And, and fortunately, it wasn't something that, that caused a lot of turmoil in the family. But you, you get these things, and, and you probably have something in your life where you, you strove for it. And when you finally got it, it didn't really fulfill you the way that, that it happened. And so Amnon actually, instead of loving Tamar, and it really actually isn't lust. He really thought he loved her. He hated her after that and kind of banished her. And so she goes back to her house, and Absalom is her brother. Um, Absalom's pretty upset about this, and they're really also all upset because, you know what David did? Absolutely nothing. He just kind of turned a blind eye towards this, and this is some great parenting is that his daughter gets raped by his other son, and he does nothing. And so uh, Absalom's really, really upset about this. But Absalom's kind of scary in a way that um, he doesn't have, like, retaliation right away. This guy waits two years to form a plan so he can kill Amnon. And so in uh, 13, chapter 13, 23 through 38, you see where Absalom figures out a plan that they're all going to go to a sheep-shearing festival and it's kind of more like a party, um, like a hunting trip or something, like where you don't actually hunt. You just kind of hang out and um, chat and have fun. And um, he, he finds a way to get Amnon there by going to David and inviting David the king. The kings don't go to these things. And, and 
Absalom knew that, that David wouldn't come, but if he invited him, he said, well, if you can't come, well, why don't you make Amnon come? And so they get Amnon there, they get him drunk, and they kill him. And you know who's upset about this? David. David's really upset about the fact that his son Amnon's dead. And so Absalom hightails it out of Jerusalem. He goes out to the outskirts, uh, and he lives uh, for a while, about four years um, and the whole time, David's also sad about Amnon leaving. And so this guy's got this torn spirit inside, um, and Absalom knows that if he comes back in, he's a dead man. But uh, Joab gets a plan to have Absalom back, because Joab loves David. Joab's been with David. And you think about when Saul's chasing him around, um, Joab's with him during some of those things, too. So um, he... he hatches a plan to get Absalom back uh, into the kingdom. And, and he does come back into the kingdom, but um, he doesn't, um, he's not able to, oh man, that's off the screen, I'm sorry. Second uh, Samuel fourteen twenty three through, or 25 through 28. Um, this is talking about Absalom. Absalom comes back into the kingdom, but he can't see the king's face. And he's there for quite a while. Um, and it says uh, in verse 25 of 14, I believe, In all Israel there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot there was no blemish on him. Whenever he cut his, the hair of his head, he used to have to cut it once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and it weighed 200 shekels by the royal standards. So they're... they're um, Definition of, of handsome was the fact that I guess he looked handsome in appearance, but he also had no, no scars on his skin. I'm, su- I'm assuming uh, no, no um, acne that you think of that kind of thing. Um, he obviously wasn't in battle working, doing some of those things that you would get, um, you would get on your body, you know, birthmarks. Um, so from the top of his head, and then his hair. So uh, it said it was... Uh, 200 shekels, which is about five pounds. So five pounds of hair. He would grow five pounds of hair a year. Now, maybe it's just because I don't have a lot. Uh, I'm kind of jealous of it. And you look at some of these details that they put in the Bible, and you're like, why did they put that in there? That's just a really random detail. It comes into play a little bit later. So you think about this. Um, He was very handsome. He had great hair. Um, Who do you think about? Yeah, handsome, great hair. You got... Troy Palalamo, um, and he's, he's got it, man. You think about that hair, it would, would weigh quite a bit. Uh, the other, you think about, too, um, Saul's credentials for being king was the fact that he was, what, tall and handsome. And so you're really looking at these outward appearances, and you start to see some of these mistakes being repeated um, that we had from, <clears throat> uh, from David. So, you know, our, what we're talking about today is nobility or, or noble, the characteristic trait of noble. And it's most noticeable when, when you're under pressure. You squeeze somebody and you see what comes out is the true self or the true person and who they are. Um, and it's when everyone is watching. You know, you're under pressure and, and everyone is watching. Or it's when no one is watching. You see that kind of come out, and, and you know what no one is watching. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of thought about this. You know what that sounds a lot like? It sounds like character or integrity. You look at these, these concepts or these ideas, and, and we've talked about them a lot. Um, my kids, um, 
they go through different pieces. Integrity was a big piece at school that they talked about uh, for an entire year. And that was their definition is, what do you do when no one's watching? Do you still do the right thing? That's, that's a big key piece in ability. So we'll move on. We'll sit here in uh, 2 Samuel 15 for a little while. I'm going to read you 1 through 6. It says, In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. When anyone came with a, compliment, uh, a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one, one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only there were appointed a judge in the land, then everyone who had a complaint or a case would come to me, and I would see that they received justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom behaved in a way towards all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and he stole the hearts of the people of Israel. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living in Geshur in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent a secret messenger through the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king of Hebron. The 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he went to Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. So Absalom is back in Jerusalem. He's really not in the presence of the king quite yet. And so he sits outside um, right where people are coming in to bring their complaints to, to trial, to judges. And he tells the people what they want to hear. He's everyone's best friend. And the thing that I, I think about most often in this situation is if you're running for school council, like in, in elementary school, high school, what do you talk about? We're going to get better lunches. We're going to get longer recess. We're going to get better snacks in the snack machine. Detention's not going to be as long. I mean, everybody loves this guy. He, is, he, is, he has positioned himself in a place where he is everybody's friend, and he's making promises that he can't keep. You see it happen very often in, in a lot of different places. Um, and, and all he's trying to do is, is just gain a following so he can create a coup. And you see that starting to happen here um, in, um, in uh, chapter 15. And so we look at um, what, what David's reaction to this is, uh, and we see, um, pick up in verse uh, 13 uh, of 15, a messenger came and told David, uh, the hearts of the people are with Absalom, because he promised them stuff that, that um, or made them feel better about their situation um, that he probably wasn't going to do anything about. Uh, 14, then David said to all of his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee. None of us will escape Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move 
quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the swords. The sword. The king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord the king chooses. And so David chooses to flee. They get all their people. They get out of town. Uh, they do leave, and this is kind of interesting, they do leave 10 concubines in the palace um, to kind of take care of it and make sure everything uh, goes well in the transition. I feel like that's the transition team between the kings. He knows he's got to get out of there. <clears throat> um, and you think, man, this is kind of a cowardly move. I think that it's a little bit more, and, and you look uh, the end of uh, 14, um, that they'll bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. And when you think about if there's a big group following, it's not like they've got a lot of um, weapons. And so anybody that fights in the army in these points in time, they're coming out of their vocation. They're coming out of uh, what they're doing. Most of them were farmers. And so they're going to bring their farming tools to fight with, or they're going to bring rocks, or they're going to bring dust, or their fists. So it's not like a really well-equipped army. Uh, David has some well-equipped guys, a few guys, um, his mighty men, that can really defend. And they put the herd on those people with the sticks and stones and rakes and whatever else that they could muster up. And so he sees that this is, um, this is going to be a, a really bad bloodbath. Um, and it's not just going to affect people that are in the military. It's going to affect everybody. It's going to affect the city. So we see that a truly, man, uh, truly noble man puts the needs of others above their own. Uh, a truly noble man puts the needs of others above their own. And you can kind of see, and in, in, in you may have been in a position uh, where you've had a lot of power, and you start to lose it, and it's really hard not to do whatever you can to, to maintain that power. And what, D, what David does here is, is he puts the needs of others uh, above his own. Down into verse 24 and 26, uh, Zadok was there too. And all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They set down the Ark, and Abathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the Ark back to the city. If, if I find favor with the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and will let me see it and, then, and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do whatever seems good to him. So David's basically saying, look, um, our, our Ark of the Covenant is not a lucky rabbit's foot. You know, you look at what happens in Raiders of the Lost Ark, is that if you have that Ark, you're going to be able to defeat and do whatever. And, it, and um, that's not really the case. What David's understanding is, if God is not with me, having this Ark with me isn't going to make any difference. Uh, and so he sent the ark back. And so we, we're really seeing a truly noble man is that a noble man understands his authority resides in God. It's not in trinkets. It's not in superstitions. Um, you guys may have the same socks that you wear to watch the Astros uh, beat up on the Yankees. Um, you know, if, uh, if they start winning whenever you go into the kitchen, maybe you stay in the kitchen. I don't know. Um, but that's not the way that, that life works. It's not the way that God works. And what he realizes is that, um, the, uh, that, that his authority resides in God. And so God's the one that made him king, and he understands, too, that God's going to make somebody else king eventually. Uh, and he, and he's, he's okay with that. He's, he's, in, he's in there. 
uh, in verse 30, But David continued up to the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too, and they were weeping as they went up. Now David had been told that Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. So this guy, Ahithophel, is... Anybody watch 30 Rock? You guys, 30 Rock? This is kind of an obscure reference. Um, Jack is running around. He's making all the right decisions. And, and he's, he's on a streak, and he's going to make a full day of making the right decisions, in which he calls it Reaganine. He is Reaganine, and um, he's making all the right decisions. Um, and so that, that's kind of this Ahithophel. He's, he's the Reagan of making, and I'm not trying to make a political statement here, um, but he's, he's, trying to, he, he's the guy that, that really has the longest streak of making all these really, really good advisements. Um, almost so much so is that it's almost like he is an angel of God kind of giving you some insights that, that, are, that are perfection. And so what, what David's doing in here is that um, he's on the run. Uh, they're trying to, to get out of Dodge, uh, or it's actually Jerusalem, but they're trying to get out of Jerusalem, and um, he's, he hears that this, um, this really smart guy is going to go give great advice to Absalom. Um, and so instead of just saying, oh, man, I hope that he says something wrong, he engages God and uh, in, in, in is really formulating a plan that includes God. Um, and if his plan doesn't work, um, it's going to go real bad. So he's really, he's really um, trusting in God. In that prayer, you see, um, you see a really big boldness of David to, to go through and engage God in his plan. Um, God is not going to, um, his plan is not going to go well if God doesn't move or act. Um, and it's not, oh, I really hope you do this, um, is that um, he's asking something in, uh, boldly from God uh, so that his plan will continue. Um, so we see that a truly noble man engages God in his plan. Uh, and sometimes um, we, can, we can go um, um, a long time without engaging God. And the way that I operate most of the time is where it's like, hey, I've got a good direction that I'm going to go. Thanks, God, I've got my orders. I'm going to go do it, and I'm going to come back to you whenever, whenever I'm finished with it. Um, I think God's plan for us is to, to engage him while we're doing his plan because um, sometimes what we get and what we understand at the very beginning um, will change along the way. I don't think God's plan changes. I think our understanding and awareness of God's plan changes. Um, so we're always including God in, in, in our plans as we move forward um, in doing some of those things. So um, we'll move on. I believe this is in... Um, I'm not sure what chapter this is. I'm sorry I did not write that down. I think it's um, 16... Um, as David's walking out, there's a man named Shimei, and he curses David. It starts in uh, verse 5. As King David approached Barum, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. 
you have come to ruin because you are a murderer. Then Abishai, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse the Lord king? Let me go over and cut off his head. But the king said, What does this have to do with you, the sons of Zariah? If he is cursing me because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? Then David said to Abishai and all of his officials, My son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more then is this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore me his covenant blessing instead of curse me today. So David and all his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing him as he went and throwing stones at him, showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. So this is kind of like a really interesting side play, is that this guy's just mad and he's throwing stones. And you guys have probably experienced this with somebody um, in, in some point in time in your life, is that you're, you're on a purpose, you're on a mission, um, and you've got somebody that's just, just slinging mud at you. And a lot of the time when you, when you go and engage somebody that's slinging mud, what happens? You get dirty. And it gets really bad, and it's taking your focus from where you're going um, and what you're actually doing. You see some really, really nice humility here with David and the fact that um, he doesn't get drawn into this person that's just mudslinging. He's like, this, you're not a part of this. We've got bigger fish to fry. Uh, and so in this, we see um, true nobility. A truly noble man refuses to be impulsive and respond without careful consideration. Uh, Abishai is one of those other mighty men. Um, he's, a, he's a general uh, in the army, basically. Uh, and this is another bad-to-the-bone individual. And if he wanted to go slice that dude's head off, it would not have been hard, and he probably would have enjoyed it. Uh, David uh, knew that that was probably not the right thing to do. And so in this instance, we see that he refuses to be impulsive and respond without careful consideration. Uh, you've been through these, these situations, and hopefully you've, um, you've not engaged and been able to feel what it's like to be able just to push that noise out uh, and, and move on from one of those situations. You've also probably engaged into it and realized that um, it has not helped you um, to defeat this person. Um, number five, um, we'll move to uh, verse 18. <clears throat> um, I'm going to save you from reading this. David splits out his armies, um, and he puts um, a third under Joab, a third under Abishai, and a third under Ittai, is is how I would say it. Um, These guys go in, and um, they're they're defending against the army of Absalom. They've got a lot of people coming. I'm going to skip down to... Um, this is where the hair comes into play. Uh, Absalom's riding a mule, and he's riding it through the forest, and his hair gets caught in a tree, and the horse keeps going, and so he's literally hanging from this five pounds of hair. And one of the guys sees, um, sees Absalom hanging in the tree, but he remembers that David said, let's fight hard, but don't kill my son Absalom, I love him, which is just wild to think about, is that the whole reason they're out there is they're defending David's life from Absalom and his army. 
And yet David says, don't kill Absalom. Just, just let's see if we can capture him alive. Well, the soldier that sees Absalom hanging in the tree, pretty defenseless from his hair. He's tangled. He can't get out. Um, the, uh, the guy that sees him, he's like, well, David said not to kill him. So he goes and sees Joab and says, Joab's Absalom's hanging in that tree. Joab does not waste any time, and he wastes that dude with, with a few spear heads. Um, and they, they kill him, and they bury him. Um, and so you've got these guys, Abishai, um, Joab, and Atai are, are, are three guys that, that David really trusts. Um, and even though they don't do exactly what David says, they, they do what David needs. And sometimes we've got to have some guys around us um, that, that know us well enough um, that will kind of um, give wise advice um, and also uh, do those things uh, that, that really need to be done. So we've got a truly noble man uh, surrounds himself with other truly noble men who give wise advice, and we see that happen for David uh, with his generals. Uh, you also see it as it extends into 1833, uh, uh, very end of that chapter. The king was shaken. This is after Absalom's uh, passed away. The king was shaken. Uh, he went up to the room over the gateway and he wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So he's doing this in front of all of those guys that were in that battle under those three generals fighting and trying, and, and they're fighting for David, right? It's like, why were we out here if you're going to sulk in the fact that we won this, this big, great victory? I don't even know why we would have come here if you were just wanted to die instead of your son. And so Joab um, tells David some really, really hard truth. He said, if you don't wipe that, um, that, that sad look off your face and start showing the respect to these guys that were fighting for you, there's not going to be anybody left to be around you. Um, you're, you're really, um, you're, you're a bad winner at this point in time. And so um, he's, he's able to convince David, which David doesn't want to do. David's still mourning the, the death of his son, um, even though his son was trying to kill him. Uh, and even though he rallied an army to go against the son, um, he was really sad that when his son died. And so um, uh, number six, a truly noble man can hear difficult truth and then does something about it. And I don't know if you've ever um, been hit with some of that in your own life. Uh, David was hit with it here from some guys that he really trusted. So uh, back to five, he, he, he surrounded himself with some guys that he really trusted. Uh, but then when it, when it came to hearing some difficult truth, um, Telling a king uh, some difficult truth can be really scary sometimes uh, because they'll just kill you. And you look at that in some of the, um, the ancient uh, ruins um, is that they'll do go in and destroy the records of any of those things that they don't want to have get out. Uh, and so it'd be really easy for him to, to go in and just, um, just off Joab, but um, he really listens, um, takes some self-reflection, and even though he doesn't want to, um, he becomes um, uh, the king that he should be um, in, that, in that spot uh, because of the truth that, that Joab is telling him. So um, the places that we get this difficult truth sometimes can come from really interesting sources. A lot of the time they come from the people that are closest to you. For me, that's my wife and my kids. 
And my wife sees the, the worst of me and the best of me. And she can really, really cut deep with those words. And most of the time, I'm going to put up a stone wall and be like, that's not true. I don't want to believe that. But how much better is that if you can hear some of that difficult truth and then actually do something about it? Um, it's not just hearing it, but it's also doing. And the same thing with, with kids. If you've got kids or little miniature versions of yourself, which, again, takes the best and the worst of you. Um, and so you can see little reflections of yourself. Um, and for me, uh, my temper um, and my anger, really, when I see it played out in a small little body, I'm like, man, I really wish I would have handled yesterday's um, discipline much differently than I did, and maybe today it wouldn't have, um, wouldn't have come out in, in the same way. Um, and so we see these, these, these six uh, characteristics uh, of nobility in people. Um, again, I, I'm trying to give you guys as much time at the table. Y'all have about 10 minutes. I was <laughs> shooting for 15 to 20. Uh, we covered a lot of scripture today. But go, go to your tables. Talk with the guys around uh, the room about these questions. Um, and they're really set for us to go back through and understand how we can make some changes uh, from the things that we've learned from David, the things that are good, the things that are bad, um, and we can execute them in our lives. So um, challenge each other, um, pray for each other, uh, take some time at the end. Uh, at 745, we'll come back up here and we will uh, dismiss so you guys can feel free to, to get to work or whatever it is you're doing. Um, so uh, take the next few minutes to, to chat about that uh, and I'll break us in prayer.